0: Hello, this is Glenn Sexton, Superintendent and Special Sheriff of the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office and Correctional Center located in Northampton, Massachusetts. If you are considering a career in the field of corrections and public safety, as well as working for an agency that prides itself on integrity, dedication, and professionalism, then please visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com. We currently have open positions in security, health services, counseling, treatment, and education. Thank you, and we look forward to hearing from you. The
1: ideas and opinions expressed in this show do not reflect the views of WHMP or Saga Communications. This show may contain subject matter not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion
0: is advised. Our ability as leaders to recognize our shared humanity and to invite others into a sense of belonging and worthiness becomes the birthplace for connection to flourish. Brene Brown. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and each week we're here to share the stigmas and narratives from those who have been impacted by the criminal justice system, the reality of life behind the wall, the people and organizations committed to bringing positive change, and the inspiring stories of those who are hustling to prove that failure isn't final. This is The Hustler Files. Welcome everyone to this week's The Hustler Files. Our guest today is bookending a conversation we had a couple of shows ago when we spoke with Steph Dolan program director of the Corporate Coalition of Chicago. And she mentioned that within their Fair Chance Hiring Initiative, there's also another initiative called the Chicago Resiliency Network, where the Fair Chance Hiring piece becomes apparent with a re-entry simulation program for these employers within their cohorts. And I was really interested in that because we talk a lot about re-entry here on the Hustler Files and the high level of importance that is needed to help people who are formerly incarcerated get back on their feet. So today I'm thrilled again to introduce a new friend from Chicago. His name is Marcos Gonzalez and he is the director of the Chicago Resiliency Network and that initiative as with the Fair Chance Hiring Initiative is supported by CARA Plus and the Chicago Land Workforce Funder Alliance. So Marcos, welcome to This Week with the hustle. Files.
2: Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me.
0: That was a lot to put into that one little open, but I wanted to make sure that we uh, set the table for for our listeners and what we're going to talk about for the next 22 minutes. So, why don't you give us some background on yourself and how you got involved with the Corporate Coalition of Chicago and became the director of their Resiliency Network?
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm originally from Los Angeles. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, where uh, Los Angeles. Has faced a tremendous amount of both community violence, gang violence, and growing up in that context has really shaped the way that I looked at the world. Trying to avoid uh, getting involved myself, um, you know, feeling, you know, fortunate that that was not a path that uh, ever kind of evolved for me, but knowing that for many friends, for many family members of mine, that was a part of our, our reality. And so, fast forward, you know, I, I came to Chicago to uh, study social work and as, as a graduate student. And during my time here, working both on the South and West sides, working with young men who were involved in the criminal legal system, gang involved themselves, really, I think, eye opening to thinking about what's necessary for transformation as folks, particularly young folks, are, you know, at a point of trying to make decisions about their lives and, you know, having very few options. I had the privilege after I graduated to go back to Los Angeles and work at a place called Homeboy Industries, which is one of the largest gang reentry programs in the United States. And I think uh, a place where I really learned firsthand what can happen when you create a really healing-centered and trauma-informed environment for folks who are really seeking to transform their lives. And one of the things that I love about Homeboy is it's really transformed, I think, the way that the community looks at you know, formerly incarcerated or former gang members. And, you know, as I returned back to Chicago a few years later, with the desire of bringing the lessons that I learned from Homeboy, I I feel very fortunate to have landed with the corporate coalition whose initiatives are focused on these two primary areas of of my background and expertise, which is creating more trauma-informed environments, which is what we do with the Chicago Resiliency Network, and with our new Fair Chance Hiring Initiative, trying to create more opportunities for anyone who might have been involved in the criminal legal system, recognizing that you know, some folks weren't even given a first chance, let alone a second chance, How do we create better fair chances? And so that's part of the work that I get to do day in and day out and what brings me to this conversation today.
0: So well said. Um, And you've covered so much ground in in your career in what I presume is not a very long time because I saw your picture online and you don't look that old. So I'm guessing you're moving at the speed of light through what you're doing in your career. So what's really interesting, I was on the Chicago Resiliency Network uh, information piece of the, the coalition site. And it's a really well done site. I don't know who did your website, but the whole website is just so easy to read and work through and get information from. And I was really sort of fascinated by some of the statistics that are on the site. So you mentioned about traumatic events, and we talk about that all the time here on the Hustler Files and how much that plays into the people's incarceration, or being justice involved. So I wasn't aware of these updated numbers. 70% of Americans have experienced a traumatic event in their lives. That is an enormous amount of humans.
2: Right. And, you know, when you think about whether it's the adverse childhood experiences, the history of generational racism, systemic racism, there's a lot of ways in which, you know, trauma might manifest in our lives. And then you have the realities of grief, car accidents, you know, you know, natural disasters more and more, especially in light of the pandemic. What we've realized is that the way in which we show up to our workplaces, you know, we carry that with us. And the more healthier and healing centered workplaces we can have, the better i think companies are going to be able to support their employees sustain you know the way in which folks are able to create some economic mobility uh, job opportunities and wealth creation but without it we have a really punitive way of thinking about folks with uh, mental health realities, and I think when we think about folks who, you know, have been either previously incarcerated and or you know involved in the criminal legal system, those often go hand in hand with you know really significant elements of trauma, separation from community, oftentimes experiences of violence, and uh, whether it's as a victim or a perpetrator, trauma impacts the the individual very significantly, and. What we're trying to do both with the Resiliency Network and then embedding some of these practices in our Fair Chance Hiring Initiative is helping employers think through what does a healthy environment look like when we're working on integrating folks who might come from different backgrounds from us or don't have the necessary privileges of having been able to be protected from or I would say shielded from a lot of the trauma that is is very prevalent and unfortunate in underserved
0: communities. So that brings me to another statistic you led us right into it, which is on your site. Thirty-nine percent of employees say their manager is equipped to support their mental health. Thirty-nine percent seems low to me.
2: Yeah, that's I I would say very accurate to I think a lot of folks experience. And another element of retention is that most most folks don't leave their jobs because of the, the pay, or they leave because of their manager. And if folks aren't feeling supported, and I think you know a lot of managers don't necessarily have the training or are well equipped. You know, I myself am a social worker trained and. You know, making sure that I have a context of someone's mental health, but that's not the case for many folks. And without that, I think there can be some trepidation around how managers support, especially where there is a lot of stigma around, you know, folks not, you know, feeling their best or not being a hundred percent in a high performing environment where you need to be showing up your best to acknowledge that I'm not, you know, feeling well or, you know, showing up that can impact safety in a lot of contexts for folks in, you know, Heavy machinery, you know, really important operations, and just in the care of other folks. And so what we work on doing is, you know, really equipping managers with the tools necessary to be empowered to build more positive connections, strengthen the way in which we show up in a more regulated space. Because the reality is we can't just check all of our emotions when we show up at the door and we want to be able to have an environment where it's okay to not be okay, but that requires a culture shift It requires a mind shift. And part of what we did with the re-entry simulation is trying to put folks in the shoes of uh, someone who has had to walk that journey of either being released from incarceration or post-sentencing when they're navigating a world in a very different environment that is not friendly to folks who have both whatever reason, you know, had to become involved with the criminal
0: legal system. So let's transition this conversation over to the re-entry piece, because that was the main reason we wanted to chat with you today. But I think it's good that we've laid the groundwork with you about what this piece of our world looks like and why organizations like the Corporate Coalition of Chicago are so necessary to bringing change. So some other statistics I found, $87 billion is the amount our economy loses annually due to barriers to employment. And there right now are 10 million roles open, which is the highest number ever reported. So give us top line to start. How, and we can drill down in the second part of our conversation, how is the coalition and the combination of the Resiliency Network and the Fair Chance Hiring piece coming together to engage with the local community to give training, and answer questions about employing people who have been justice-involved?
2: Yeah, that I, I love that question because I think it really is a matter of building a movement for the way in which we think about Jeff Korzenik, who I believe you've had on your show, uh, wrote the book Untapped Talent, Right. How do we think about the, you know, 10 million open roles and, you know, who exists within our community to fill those roles? When one in three adults has had some, you know, criminal legal involvement, there's a huge swath uh, of folks who have not had access to opportunities. And again, why we, we say it's so important to talk about fair chance. And so with our work in the corporate community, What we say is that, you know, if some of the largest corporations are some of the largest employers, they have the opportunity to have some of the biggest impacts by shifting some of their internal practices and and policies. Now, we also recognize that you have to build an environment where folks are going to be able to enter into the workplace in a sustainable way. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, just recycle through folks if you don't have that supportive work environment. So our Fair Chance Initiative really seeks to help companies work on the tactical, tangible practices that companies need to make, because it can't just be like flipping a switch. If it were, companies would be doing that. And so, you know, part of that is ensuring that the hearts and the minds of who, unfortunately, might have a lot of biases for, you know, how the media portrays folks who, you know, have been involved in the criminal legal system or the way in which the news media covers the city of Chicago. We have a lot to work against in really opening the minds and transforming the way that folks think of us. And there's a really powerful line of, you know, the founder of Homeboy Industries who says you can't demonize someone you don't know. But part of the challenge that I think we face in Chicago and in a lot of cities is the segregation, the separation from not knowing folks who have been involved in the criminal legal system. And until we know each other, can we start to transform? And I think what we try to do with the corporate coalition is be a bridge for the employers to the workforce agencies, to those who are seeking employment opportunities, and being able to say, It's going to take all of us to transform the way in which our city is going to move towards becoming more economically thriving and make sure that everyone has an equal access to the jobs.
0: You mentioned a statement that I don't talk enough about on this show, but it is something that we should mention on a more regular basis, and that is the phrase bridging the gap. Mm. People don't realize how important that piece of leaving prison or jail and going to the next part of your life what does that bridge look like and it's a long bridge and it's a high bridge and the only way i can equate a visual to it is think about those bridges that you see on videos in you know the amazon or south america that are very wobbly and done kind of almost tied together it looks like with just rope and wood and that's what they're made from that's the bridge that I visualize when I think about somebody leaving prison and trying to find their way through the networks that they need to to find employment, to find housing. So we're gonna take a quick break And we're going to come back. Marcos, if you can hang out with us a little bit more. I want to drill down into the actual re-entry pieces that you go through with these employers and the cohorts that you're working with. So listeners, grab another cup of coffee. We'll be right back. You're listening to This Week with the Hustler Files.
1: What do the Hamden County Sheriff's Office, local area police departments, and local councils on aging all have in common? They are the three partnerships that form the Hamden County Triad Program, created by Sheriff Nick Kochi to provide local seniors in Hamden County safe, healthy, and free services. This winter, the Sheriff's Department is hosting a Sand for Seniors program to offer free buckets of sand to senior citizens as a preventative measure for use on sidewalks, driveways, and walkways. For other triad services available, call 413-858-0060.
0: Welcome back to this week's The Hustler Files. I'm Lisa Riley, and if you're just joining us, we're here with Marcos Gonzalez of the Corporate Coalition of Chicago, who is the director of the Chicago Resiliency Network within that coalition, and he is helping to lead the charge in the fair chance hiring movement and assist employers in hiring formerly incarcerated or justice-involved individuals. So Marcos, welcome back to the second segment of The Hustler Files.
2: It's really great to be here. Really grateful for this conversation.
0: Yes, we are too. And what you've brought to the conversation is so eye-opening, not just for me and my producer, but also we hope for our listeners as well. We learn something new every week, and I'm really enjoying the conversation. So let's dig in on what does this re-entry simulation Look like for an employer who has agreed to be part of a cohort. And we know from Steph Dolan that we have a handful of cohorts this year. You've got some in healthcare, which is really exciting because I know that's been an industry that has been really a tough nut to crack. So you bring these employers into a room and you've got whiteboards and maybe they've got some papers and pens and notes and information in front of them. But all they see on the whiteboard is a line. And how do you get to engage them? How do you start the process of building the story around what re-entry needs to be?
2: So one of the things that I feel really fortunate is that Everyone who's agreed to be part of the cohort is in some way interested in advancing fair chance hiring within their organization. Now, just because they're interested doesn't mean that they have a lot of personal knowledge or experience in working directly with folks who have been, you know, justice involved. Uh, what we're trying to do in this reentry simulation is really humanize and open the minds of folks as they think about what does it take for someone post release or post conviction to be able to submit their resume or get to that job interview and as folks begin the simulation it's about an hour long and what we invite folks to is to really place their feet in the shoes of, of these individuals and to try and embody and so we provide some context we developed several different personas based on our conversations with and my past work with those who have lived experience and anonymize it in a way that, you know, tries to provide some general context. And if it's helpful, I can talk through one of those personas just to give you a a sense of, you know, whose shoes might they be putting their feet into?
0: Yes, let's do that. So you sent me over, I think, three different people, and they're anonymous, but some statistics on them. But I like Jackie's because I think Jackie's is a little bit more in line with, I don't like to say the norm, because nobody going to jail is the norm, but maybe a little bit more in line with the background of people coming out of prison and some of the things that they're facing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Jackie?
2: Yeah, so this anonymous persona for the experience, we'll call her Jackie. She's 32 years old and just finished serving 10 years in in prison for involvement in a gang-related murder. As a part of her mental health reality, she faced some untreated PTSD and some general anxiety. She only finished high school and didn't continue into her education. Since leaving prison, she's not secured any permanent housing, but she's staying with her sister and is currently working a temp job, has no other previous work history. And so she is now at a point where she is looking for gainful employment, And has to navigate the world without a car and reliant on public transit, while at the same time also having to report to her parole officer bi-weekly. So there's some time constraints. And so you can start to imagine if you're in Jackie's shoes, you know, how do I begin this process of looking for more sustainable, gainful employment?
0: Right off the bat, I just can see so many barriers. Like she's standing on that bridge and the bridge is just swaying back and forth and she can't go forward and she doesn't want to go back. So let's talk about how we get that bridge to stabilize. What does she need to do, but also what do the employers who potentially could hire her need to do. So I presume you or, or staff, or someone standing in front of the room and you've drawn all these boxes, these cubes on that line and around that white line, the whiteboard. Do you ask the employers to start telling you what she's going to need to do or do you start filling in the boxes so that they can understand better how many different pieces of the puzzle need to be put together?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So, what we invite the participants to do is to, you know, they have a bunch of post-it notes. To write on the post-it notes, what might anyone need to accomplish in order to apply? So, for example, submit a resume, write a cover letter. But then you have to think, well, what steps go into writing a resume? Well, I need to have access to a computer. I need to have some computer literacy skills, right? And what if I don't have access to those things? Well, then I probably need to have access to a library or a job center. But I would need to be able to get to that job center, so I probably need some transportation. But if I'm, you know, not sure where I'm going to be staying tonight, I probably need to focus on my housing. But if I don't have money because I don't have a job, we try to have folks do is think beyond just the regular steps that we might take for granted that come so natural to some of us who might have that access to education or access to resources like computer or computer training. And if, if those are components that we don't typically think about, we start to add more and more post-its to this line and recognize that journey all of a sudden is going to require a lot more steps for someone who is you know, maybe recently coming out of incarceration, there are a, a number of components that are going to be necessary. And one of the things I, I recall, you know, as we've gone through this is, you know, you start to see people, you know, really saying, wow, uh, this person's accomplishing a lot in order to just be able to submit a resume comparative to others who, for no fault of theirs, you know, have had those experiences, have the privileges, but don't have to think about all the steps because they're opportunities that we've been afforded that others haven't.
0: I'm just looking at the grid you sent me online and some of the other sticky notes that were put on here, besides housing, the basics, transportation, money, but even just having to figure out how to fit in, like you mentioned, meeting a parole officer, interviewing, learning to talk about your past and your history in a way that won't incapacitate you to get a job moving forward. Clothing. I mean, I know there's a lot of organizations now. There's Suits for Men and there's Dress for Success, and there are organizations that will supply some clothing. But again, when you think about clothing, then you have to think about how do I get to that location? Because those locations might, there might be one location and maybe it's 30 miles away. So how do you get there to buy an outfit or a suit or whatever you need? And then you have to get to the interview. So it, it really is an interesting exercise to see how all of this comes together and how each piece, like you mentioned, that one resume piece, all of a sudden breaks down into multiple different, what could be considered and probably are barriers.
2: Yeah, you know, and even, you know, with our formalized systems, we have automatic tracking systems that folks submit resumes and they'll kick it back out if it's not formatted properly. Or, and again, if you don't know the ways in which that needs to look, it's going to work against you. All of this happens when folks have to check a box or, you know, share their background and their background is going to be another barrier. So you can start to see if I'm someone who is recognizing that I might have a felony conviction on my record, do I even want to go through this journey? And if we don't provide the supports or even just the mindfulness of what folks have to go through, and as you say, you know, we're fortunate that there are organizations, great workforce development agencies who can provide a lot of the support, but that requires making sure that there's time to go and get that support. And so another component of what we do is help our employers say, Who are some of these workforce agencies who are helping these individuals make this journey? Because those are also going to be trusted sources. And how can we make sure that we are building up those relationships and ensuring that there is some trust in what the folks in the boots on the ground are doing in the community to be able to be that bridge, right? They're trying to work on strengthening that very flimsy bridge so that it can be stronger for individuals as they're coming out of incarceration.
0: Yeah, I could have this conversation for hours, I think, Marcos, and sadly, we're going to run out of time. So I have two quick questions for you. One is, what have you experienced as to these employers' reactions as you drill down during that one-hour conversation and whiteboarding and post-it note writing? What do you see in their physical reactions?
2: You know, at the end of the simulation, is an aha moment, you know, and that's our always our hope that folks take away the humanizing that you see How successful someone who, you know, might have, for whatever reason, become involved in the criminal legal system. By the time they submit their resume, they are an accomplished individual. And we really want to celebrate that. And that aha moment of saying, here's someone who's through their due diligence, through their internal work on really transforming their lives, we want to be able to celebrate that and offer them a chance, right? And so I I think it's been eye-opening and it's helping to reshape the way in which folks might think about this untapped talent source. And what I've been really grateful that many have then sought to take the, this simulation back to their teams and say, we need more people to experience this. We need more of our HR team, our talent acquisition team to consider this, even senior leaders to really think about this because they're the ones that are going to be able to make the decisions on whether policies get changed, whether we're going to reimagine the way that we look at people's backgrounds. And so... It's a you know, drop in the pond, and we hope that the ripple effects can really help propel this Fair Chance movement to inspire more folks to reimagine the way that they look at people who have been involved in the criminal legal system.
0: And my last question I ask all my guests, and I don't give you fair warning, yeah. is I believe we all have assignments of life. Sometimes we know it, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes they change. But at this point in your life's journey, what do you think your assignment of life is?
2: Yeah, I feel very fortunate to be... In this moment in the city of Chicago, at a time where we are reimagining and reshaping the way that we recognize our belonging to one another. And I feel like my assignment right now is to help the corporate community reimagine its relationship to those parts of our city who have been historically divested from and to be able to build up opportunities for folks who haven't always had equal access. I am excited to be able to move the needle forward. It's a very ambitious goal we have, but I believe that we can turn the tide because it takes one person at a time. Conversations like this help us do that.
0: Well, I have to thank you again for joining us. Lastly, Marcos, how can companies that are interested in either starting their own coalition in their own city or getting involved in the resiliency network in general, how do they reach out to you?
2: Thanks for that question. You can find us on our website, which is corpcoalition.org. Please reach out to us. We'd love to get you connected, whether it's in Chicago or anywhere else in the country.
0: That sounds amazing. I want to thank you again. You are a force for good, and you are helping those on their redemptive quest through the potential employers that will take them on and give them a future. So, Marcos, thank you again. And listeners, hang tight. We'll be right back to wrap up this week with the Hustler Files Don't Touch That Dial.
1: Are you an RN, LPN, mental health clinician, or counselor with a career that you love? That's great. But you can love your career and not love where you're working. If this sounds like you, why not consider exploring a job with the Hampton County Sheriff's Office? At the Hamden County Sheriff's Office, you'll work with people who really love their careers and their jobs. You'll not only make a difference, but you'll be valued by the people you treat and your coworkers too. So say yes to exploring the healthcare jobs at the Hamden County Sheriff's Office at HCSOMA.org.
0: Or just Google Hamden County Sheriff today. We are back. And this week's thoughts come from Lisa Buscombe. Life gives you what you need. Life gives you lessons and triumphs hard times, the best of times, and the most mundane days. So go with the flow. Go with life. Look for the opportunities and the beauty in the small things. Take your time. Go slow. Enjoy the moment. Look back with heartfelt gratitude. Go forward with excitement and without fear. But most importantly, be in this moment. Because at the end of the day, this moment is everything. And that's a wrap on another week of The Hustler Files. I am extremely grateful for all of our guests and advertisers. As always, you can find all of our shows on the whmp.com podcast page or any of your favorite podcast sites. Have a wonderful week ahead and remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. See you next week right here on The Hustler Files.